okay, okay, that jelly. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah. Okay, okay, just let's just let's let's go ahead. <laughs> what's good? What's good? Yeah, you are now listening to Loose Accents, an immigrant podcast for the press and unbothered. Loose Accents is a podcast covering the issues, stories, and topics that make your boss and your side piece pressed about your life. We are here to celebrate the looseness of our tongues and all of our identities. Two immigrant kids, one from New York, one from LA, finding each other in Los Angeles with the ultimate goal of liberation. So basically, we are two hoes living their best unbothered ass life. We are coming to you once again from South Central LA, this time to dig deeper about who we really are as Andakube and Angeli. So grab your country club, your papitas, because we're in for a soulful, Oprah kind of, you know, vibe conversation. So I am Dangeli. And I am Undocube. And let's start this show off with this soulful question, babe. What's in your heart today? What you going through? <sighs> Actually, um, today I woke up feeling good, happy. Um, Saturday is beautiful, beautiful weather here in LA. I'm ready for the summer. Um, but actually, something that's been in my mind lately is this concept of signs, like signs from the universe. Like, I've been very skeptical most of my life about things. Mm-hmm. I think I've said this before. Um, but this morning, I don't know, I was in deep thought, and I'm like, listen, like, I've received some very beautiful signs, this mm-hmm. like, these past, like, seven months since I moved here. Um, like for example, that one time, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen me crying, you know, in December. Yo, you was weeping, weeping, crying (laughs) back in December. And I just kept saying like, I don't know what this pain is for, Mm. but I, 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 I'm opening myself up to answers. I just want answers. And it was like two weeks later that I like, I received the affirmation, the validation and like, like from a beautiful email that just kind of like settled my heart. And ever since then, I feel like I've been tuning in to the things that um, the universe has shown me, like small little things, like my tattoo artist, like the person that did my first tattoo told me, you know, I, I was telling him that I was new to LA. And he told me, be careful because this city can swallow you up if you let it. Ooh. And it was kind of like, I don't know. It just felt like he was preparing me for what was next. Mm. And in little subtle ways, things that people say, Uber drivers, um, friends, um, things that I hear on the street, and even things that happen to me always kind of prepare me for what's next. So it's like people are sort of adding to this kind of message that you're building about. Exactly. And then whenever I'm going through a hardship, I always remember, like, the thoughts, like the, the the things that people have told me in the past, always come back to me. Like yeah. this is what they meant. Um, I don't know, and I felt I found a lot of strength in that. Now that I'm, I feel like I'm tuning into the universe and what the universe is trying to tell me. Yeah, well, I mean, from just knowing you, you feel a little uh, lighter in spirit. Like you're, I am. you're walking a little bit more in your light. You feel lighter in the way that you show up to rooms and the way that you yes, perform. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Like. Even, and, and I felt that this week I was performing at the Poetry Lounge and I stood up there and of course I was nervous, but it was more like a excitement kind of nervous. Yeah. Not so much like, I don't know how I'm going to do this kind of nervous, you know? So, I don't know. I feel I feel good about it. I feel good about it. Good. Let's hear so that. what about you, boo? Baby? Oh, what's, what's in, in your my, heart? What's in my heart? Um, I, I've actually been in a really good space lately. Uh my my mom had been traveling to the mm. motherland. She's been traveling to Mexico, and she was gone for I think like two and a half months, and I hadn't seen her. I I, I could call her, and we talked on the phone and things like that, but um, I missed her, you know. Aww. And so it was, you know, the last two and a half months, uh, me moving into a brand new place uh, in East LA, and having my mom and my family like move and, and grow to another place. They transitions. Uh, yeah, they transitioned to. Um, to Riverside, they, they moved to Moreno Valley. So I hadn't, you know, seen them in a while. So I have my mom even further away to go Aww. to the motherland. And then uh, at work the other day, I received a text message from my sister. She was like, look who's home. And mom came home and she looked so happy. Aww, with come, her little luggage. Yeah, with her little luggage coming in the airport. So, uh, yeah, so she's home. So I'm looking forward to see her uh, celebrate Mother's Day with her coming up. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like crossing my fingers that my mom would come back for Mother's Day. So she's here. So I'm excited about that. You know, work is really good. Relationship is really good. I feel in good health. Um, so the, the I think most it's important. It, most important. So I feel it's important also to to notify and tell yourself when you are feeling good and to say, hey, like, there's nothing that's quote unquote wrong. Yes. And I'm just going to be in this moment. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's not it's not happy for say. It's just like literally just that that. That space of neutrality where it's like nothing's going bad. Yep. You know, yes, you're not like at your peak or like nothing crazily good is happening, but like you're kind of in peace. Like yeah. that's the best, I think. Even better than happiness because even happiness is fleeting. Yeah. But being in peace is a certain kind of like, I don't know, tranquility, I guess. Yeah. And, and one of the, the things that I've learned too is that like when you say that you are full of joy, um, because joy, being in joy is a practice. Like you have to be able to practice happiness. You have to be able to to see when things are going like completely the opposite way or wrong. The idea of practicing joyfulness and happiness is something that you have to get your mind to, to replay different games with you. It's to say, you know what? Like my car just broke down this week. But instead of saying, oh my God, I can't believe I'm not gonna be able to get mm -hmm. to work because yes. of my car. What if you shift the perspective and say, hey, well, this is an opportunity to take the bus or the train or to, you know, get a bike and show up to work like 30, 40 minutes early. So we can play those uh, mind games with ourselves to shift into joyfulness. So, you know, you saying things like that is what made me realize that first like time that we sat down to talk that oh, we yeah. were like that we were kind of on the same vibe wave that our friendship mm -hmm. was very I don't know that it was going to thrive because we were very similar because that's right. exactly the way that I redirect my thoughts. It's like, okay, this is going bad, but at least, you know, this is the opportunity to experience something different, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so you know what? Let's just dig right in because <laughs> this is a perfect transition, right? Yeah, and, I, and I have to tell you that, Jelly, like I'm a little... I'm a little nervous about what we're about to do, but it, it's good. I'm going to lean in fully okay. into it. So let me tell you. Fully. So I wanted uh, this episode to be soulful, mm -hmm. deep, for our listeners to get to know who we are. So we prepared a little something. Right now we have two boxes in front of us, and you can, you can hear it. The boxes are... Full of questions. Um, <laughs> so Ernesto and I um, wrote down 10 questions for yep. each other. We put them in a box. We have not seen the questions in advance. They're supposed to be deep. Um, get into, you know, that personal, yes. like, you know. Well, in a way, it's like digging into how we first met each other. Yes. Because we really asked each other these kinds of questions when we were, like, meeting each other yes. to be like, is this someone that I'm really going to vibe with? Yes. Like, so it's those kind of questions, right? Yeah. Yep, uh, 100%. Okay. So, so now um, we set them both in a box. We're going to pick a question, uh, and we're going to ask each other the questions that the other prepared for the other. Yeah, and so. this, this part of the show is called Soy Yo. So that we can really just um, for all demonstrate. of you to get to know us, yeah. right? Um, we're more than jokes, <laughs> even though we're always lit and turned up. Um, there's also a very beautiful friendship here, and I want you guys to get a glimpse of it. Absolutely, I'm I'm ready. Like I hope y'all are ready. And like Danjeli said at the beginning, make sure you get some tissue because. You know what? I might cry, but also, <laughs> this is your box. Is this me? Yeah. Those are the ones that I included for you. And okay. Then... So then this is your box okay. that I created for you. Don't open it yet. Okay. Don't um, open it yet. Okay. I mean, I, I won't. So, actually, yes, I just did, but I'm not looking. I'm okay. Not looking. So you're opening it first. Okay. So since you opened it, you oh, have to okay. dig in there first. And the, the rule is once you get the question, read it out loud. Uh, actually, read it to yourself, and then read it out loud so that you can begin to to answer. Okay, so I'm going through the box. Oh my god, I'm I don't even know. Okay, so I'm reading. <laughs> what is it about poetry and love that compels you to write? Oh, man. Well, in one word, healing. Um, 
I was going through a very, very bad time in my life about, wow, now three years ago. Um, I was going, I was leaving a very toxic relationship that tore apart my self-esteem and my strength um, and who I was as a loving person made me very bitter. And poetry was what was there for me. Um, I began writing on on my commute to work. At the time, I was commuting to uh, like an hour, 45 minutes to work. So during my commute, I would always have my music on and I would write poems. And I didn't know where those poems would lead me. I had no intentions for them. I just knew that I had to write. I would write about how much I missed him. Even when I couldn't tell my friends that I missed him, I would write about um, how I wanted him back, but also how I hated him, how I had so much resentment for him, how I was better without him. So all these emotions um, were processed through my writing. But at the same time, um, Trump, right? Trump was happening. So I would write about my mother and um, struggling with this, you know, immigration status. I was writing about the first time I went to the DR after 12 years of being undocumented. So I was, you know, I was just, writing for me brought me to healing because it was a place where I could be unapologetic about my feelings. Mm. Um, and, you know, when you're going through a lot of pain, like your friends listen to you, but there comes a point where they can't keep taking on that like yeah. emotional labor. Yeah. And you have to be mindful of that. People get tired and, what, you know, with all their right to get tired. Um, writing was always there for me. Um, and I think something that is challenging me now is I want to write from a place of love now. I want to practice what it's like to write when I'm happy, uh, when I have joy, as opposed to from sadness. I think I did that already, and now I'm ready to explore my writing in other ways. And I'm, I'm ready to step into this new phase of my healing, and that means embracing joy and documenting joy. One of the things that I remember um, when I first met you was I had heard a couple of your poems, and now that you that you talk about like that writing was a kind of healing process, I think for for an audience member like myself or like anybody else that's listening to your poetry, I think what that does is that you're able to 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 walk and navigate us through that healing process, but you're able to offer up a piece of of your heart, a piece of your soul, saying every single time here yeah. is what I've mended. Here is what I've taken care of, and and I I I'd like to share that with you so that you can see how beautiful it is. Yeah. So every poem, whenever I'm performing, every poem brings me back to that place. Mm. And many times when I'm, when I'm done performing the poem, it's kind of like a like a self reflective moment. Like look how far you have come. Yep. Like you're no longer in that place. The poem takes me to that place, and the aftermath, the applause. Um, takes me to the now, which is like, look how much you have grown from it. Yeah. So something that happened this week, I performed at the Poetry Lounge, and I performed, you remember the poem I do? Yeah, beautiful. Um, the first time I performed it was in December, and I was crying. I could barely get through that poem. And I thought that that would happen every single time that I performed, and it did. It happened in January, and it happened in February. Mm -hmm. Last week, I performed it for the first time, and I didn't cry. So it was like you stepped into a different kind of an emotion, a different exactly. space. So the emotions yeah. were there. My voice was still shaking. And, you know, I, I I showed the poem Grace, but the tears didn't come. And that's because I've stepped into a new phase of my healing. Yeah. And that's what performing and poetry does to me. It shows me where I'm at. Mm. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, I, I resonate so much with that. That's, that's beautiful. Thanks, babe. Uh, Okay, your turn, boo. Come on, open that box. <laughs> I can't wait. I get personal. Okay. Personal, personal. So here's my box. I'm about to go uh, in here. Okay. okay. How does your immigration status factor into your future plans? Um, so there's, there's many different ways, uh, that I can go with this. Um, I've actually been thinking a lot about, about this. So, um, you know, the name pretty much says it all right. Undocubay, undocumented mm -hmm. before and after the election. And it's really taken me close to 10 years to, 
to really sink into what it means to to be undocumented for me, uh, what it's meant, and and the kind of a process that I've had to walk myself to to get into a place of at least some kind of an acceptance, right? And then acceptance, and then fortitude, and empowerment, and then just like unapologetically just being myself. Um, so, um, you know, my immigration status is still something that is very personal. It's something that I keep with me, but it's now something that I, I speak to mm-hmm. um, every single day. So I, I no longer like shun it away. I no longer put it like on the shelf or keep it as a kind of a shadow that's kind of following me. But if it is going to be something, a, a status, an identity or a perspective, if you will, that's going to be with me for quite some time, then I might as well just get to know it. Mm. And what do you mean by that? And what I mean by that is that it, when I ask it, when I ask my undocumented status questions, I, you know, characters come up, like different characters in in my life. So like my eight-year-old self is the first one that pops up. Um, It's it's the eight-year-old boy who who migrated uh, to this country with his brothers and his mom to reunite with his family. That eight-year-old boy who uh, who longed to come to the U.S. to to go to Disneyland and and mm. be able to ride his blue scooter that he got that last Christmas in U.S. Uh, that boy that longed to have his first dog. Um, that the eight-year-old boy who longed to to meet with. Uh, his young two-year-old sister who he hadn't seen in a while. So like that person comes up when I think about my immigration status. And although it's, like it's been really painful to, to go and speak to him many times because he's he's been uh, hurt, uh, traumatized, uh, left alone in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he's also like shared with me now as a 30-something-year-old um, <laughs> what it means to to have joy and to be fully, fully happy and joyful. And so when I think about him, I also think about like the times that he would go out into the barrio and then just play canicas, play marbles, play trompos with the the neighborhood kids. Um, You know, the the same one that brought out his blue scooter, put it outside of in the street and had all the homies ride the scooter. Um, So, he shares with me those those moments of joy. Um, and then there's, I think, a, like a couple of moments that I see my undocumented status bring up different characters, like the one, you know, that struggled to get through college, the one that mm. that that used a lot of alcohol to get through, the one that that would hide a lot of his emotions and pretend to be happy all the time just to to not let in other people that he was not well. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that protected himself in the best way he could and didn't work out. And then I see now myself, like, where I am currently. And, yo, like, I, I, I feel like I'm a kind of journalist in a way. I'm a storyteller. I'm the one that is looking at my past um, as an undocumented person and is kind of, like, capturing these moments that that bring him to life. So if I look into the future... Um, it's still with me. Um, possibly my my status will change and I'll become, you know, full vetted like citizen of this country and I can travel and do all the things that all citizens get to do. But this is a big chunk of my of my life, you know, that mm-hmm. I've had to work with this identity. And so the the other part is like what will happen when and if my my status actually changes, like a big part of of my consciousness is going yes. to sort of be stripped yes. or moved away yeah and there's a period of transition and you know speaking from someone who adjusted after there's so many feelings who adjusted after so many years spending you know most of my childhood um undocumented and then having it ch- it was a big part of my life that's what got me to the law that's what got me to organizing yeah. it became what i did at work what i navigated at home um so it was in every single part of my life and when that no longer was quote unquote an issue on our identity, um, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I lost a big part of, of, of who I was. Like I didn't know how to navigate this new status, this new person. Yeah. Um 
and for a long time I felt guilty because mm-hmm. I saw my like my friends yeah um people that like at the time I felt were so much more deserving of this privilege um still not like have status and that right. like messed with me for for a few time like a f- like a few months right. I didn't know how to um and I still feel icky yeah yeah but one thing that I want to ask you is following up um and I want you to tell me that this in a few sentences do you think the eight your eight year old undocu self is proud of who you are today absolutely yeah. uh like he is so proud because he sees an emotionally mature person who is willing to care for him in the way that he needed. Oh, yes. Yeah, like he just needed to be hugged and and told that that he is beautiful and that he could be, you know, you know, as feminine as he wanted to be mm. and play with whatever he wanted to play and that it was going to be okay. So okay. he would be very happy in that sense that I am in a place that can look back at him and say, you are loved. You are loved. Yes. So something that someone asked me on Instagram was, um, how do you navigate this new status? And I said, I have no idea. Like, yeah. I ju- I'm, just, I'm just going day by day. But something that I want to do is I want to be, and this, you know, this you don't have to be um, documented to be this person, but something that I said was, I want to be the person I needed when I was undocumented. Yeah. That's who yeah. I want to be for my community. You know, like yeah. the ally that you needed or, you know, just the support that was needed at the time. So you have some kind of a benchmark, right? You have some I, kind like, of a... I, yeah, yeah, like if, if anything comes from like being undocumented that you know what the need is. Yep. Right? Yeah. Um, and even you now in, in a position that you are now where like it's been years. There's a lot of undocumented babies now, like kids that are growing up as undocumented and think mm-hmm. that like under this administration have no hope um, that they will get better. Like I feel like now as we grow older, we know. Yeah. Like, I mean, just just this. Uh, what is it? This week or last week, there was a report that was released that said that about 100,000 um, undocumented yes. high school students are graduating that won't be able to have access to like DACA and some of those yeah. privileges. And so it takes me back to. You know, to to yeah. me that being that age and, you know, I think in anticipation of what's going to happen in the future, my best role right now is to capture those yes. stories, those um, those emotions on paper, on, on a performance or something, because it's going to leave sort of these remnants mm-hmm. of, of who I was. And something that I, I've, I've mentioned a few times on, on my Instagram as well is like for all of you who are dealing with um the backlash of this administration, whether you're LGBTQ, undocumented, Muslim, uh, Muslim, document your stories. Yes. Even if it means journaling every day, journal what's happening to you on an everyday basis. Journal how um, news are affecting you, how policies are affecting you, because in a few years, we're living in history, right? So in a few years, it is important for all of you to be the owner of your story. Exactly. These white folks are going to be coming to our communities looking for primary resources. Like, you know, like they're going to be looking for these kinds of testimonies. Mm-hmm. Own your story. Yep. Um, document your story. Document your your, your family stories because in a few years, this is all we're going to have to prove and to show that it is as bad as we say. You know? The, there's a mama that couldn't say it any better. There's a, a thing that when you were answering your first question, and then we can move on to the next one, you said... Uh, when I tell a poem, every single time there's like sadness and tears or what have you, and then it keeps evolving into a different feeling. That's the same thing with storytelling. Yes. Um, my perspective of being able to truly understand any one singular particular story is that if you could identify and tell that same story in seven or eight different feelings of emotions, then you really understand what that story and the truth of what that story has to say. So when I used to tell my my story of like how I got to the U.S. because it seems that people are super interested in that, um, I, it always was sadness. It always was like mm-hmm. f- sadness and fear and anguish. And then it started turning into like love mm-hmm. and, and acceptance and then playfulness and then joy. And then just seeing like, yo, like an eight-year-old kid coming to a brand new country 
seeing the first time he ever saw like green grass that was lined up in perfectly straight lines, seeing running water that came straight up from like a the 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 restroom that came straight up from a shower head and it was warm like very simple things yeah. were were made such a huge difference for me so a big thing for me when i migrated and i was also eight um was having electricity the entire day yeah that to me was brand new because like in the yard you you get electricity like for a few hours of the day you'll be watching like the novelas like you watch it for like you'll watch all the episodes and then the day of like el final the, like, save la luz. Like, there'll be no electricity. So, literally, you, you missed the ending. And that was it. Like, there was no recording shows back then. Yo. So, like, you know. Yeah, so I, I, I still remember that joy of, like, having electricity the entire day. Having warm water the mm -hmm. entire day. Like, that to me was brand new. Like, oh, my God. In New York, obviously, you need it. Um, right. the cold. So, you know, that to me was like, wow. Like, mm -hmm. people here have so much... Um, and of course, like the feelings of sadness and homesickness that like your parents don't have the time to walk you through because they're too busy hustling and right. working. Three right. jobs, trying to make it work. Exactly. So, okay. So my turn. Your turn, baby. Okay. Let's take another question. Okay. I'm picking, I'm picking, I'm picking. Okay. So let's see. I'm reading. <laughs> what is your favorite word to use? What does that word mean to you? Actually, I don't know. I feel like I don't have a favorite word. Okay. I feel like my favorite word might be my name. Mm. And it's because my name obviously is not common. My name is a combination of my dad's and mom's name. So my dad's name is Danny. My mom's name is Araceli. So Danjali. Um, and I just... To be poetic, right? My name is where my parents are still together. My name is um, where my parents still love each other. Like, I am um, the product of love. Um, yes, like, pull out gone wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the only reason I'm saying that is because... <laughs> My mom told me the story, oh. okay? My mom was very clear. When she was giving oh. me the talk, she uh -huh. said that, she, literally, my mom was, like, giving me the sex ed. She was like, well, um, <laughs> use condoms because uh -huh. you don't want a child, at, like, as a teenager. Your dad told me he knew what he was doing and look at you now here. Right, so she used as an example. Yes, she okay. was like, here you are. <laughs> he told me he knew what he was doing and that it was safe and now uh. look at you. So, well, my name. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a product of life. I love how we can be serious for two seconds. Uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, so I think my name is just, it carries culture because Dominicans are known for having these kinds of names, like combinations of names. Um, so once I say my name, uh, like if people are uh, familiar with, with Dominican culture, they're already like, guess. They're like, you're Dominican? I'm like, yes, I am. Um, so it just carries so much weight. I think when I was younger, I used to think that my name um wasn't fit for an adult like i was like oh this is like a child's name i want a a, a better name like nicole mm. colonization out here right right um but now my name is my brand my mm. name is like who i am i i don't when i think d'angeli i don't see another face besides mine um yeah so yeah, that may be it. So if that's if that's let's say one of your favorite words, the interesting thing is that's probably going to be one of the words that you write forever until yeah, yeah, until you move on. So I always carry my parents with me yeah. wherever I go. It's in my name. Very cool. Right? Cute, right. cute, cute, cute. Seguimos. Cute. Seguimos. Míralo, míralo. When was the last time you had to learn how to forgive, forgive yourself and how did you do it? Yo, like last night, mm. the night before, mm. uh, three nights ago. Um, one of the, the things that I always have to forgive myself um, for is for being so deliberately um, pushy and hard on, on myself. On, on doing better, on, on wanting to be better, on especially whenever I feel like I've done something wrong or when I feel like I've wronged somebody, 
like there is a, a voice that kind of pops up in the back central uh, left side of my brain. And, and, I, and I, I kind of sense this, this kind of light or an essence that's just kind of like shunning me for having made a mistake or for not have done things right. Mm. And it, it really is a, a constant practice to look at that voice and, and give it a name and give it a face and give it a, a shape to say, well, who are you? Like you, you definitely are not Ernesto because Ernesto would not scream at you, would not holler at you, would not shun you, would not castigate you. Um, so it's it's a combination of of my upbringing, of past lovers or friends mm. or people that Ooh, have that, oh that's deep yeah. formed itself to 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 be this voice. And I said like, so I had to always forgive myself and be more kind. Mm. So it, in, in essence, it's kind of like telling that voice, like, not today. Um, I hear you. You're actually really loud right now, but I'm just going to let you blow off. I'm going to take a shower. And before I go to bed, I always forgive myself. That's And that's like healing practice. Yeah. You know? It is a practice. Yeah. Like, it has to be very intentional about yes, what you're doing. Yes, yes. Or otherwise, it won't work. If you're not intentional, you're just like, well, my friend told me that I need to forgive myself today. No, like it has to be you make the personal decision to do so. Because, see, the practice of forgiveness means that when you are looking at a situation or uh, an experience that, that makes you feel bad and, and that feeling of guilt or shame hangs like around in your chest area or sometimes it goes down to like your gut and you just feel like like that kind of icky, do you know what I'm yes. saying? Like it feels yes. a little heavy, like like even if you're a little bloated or something, it's just like, why do I feel that? And when you are, when you pay attention to the wisdom of your body and say, this is what I'm feeling right now, it's important for you to, to say, okay, how can I pay attention to it? And then tell it, you're okay, you're safe, you are loved, you are in a place that no one's gonna hurt you. No one is out here gonna, bad mouth you like you're good and then you have to quiet it yourself yeah no and one else is gonna do it yep and something very interesting that comes with like adulthood right is realizing that like pain emotional pain we literally manifest itself into physical pain yes like you know when you're like feel sick in the stomach when you see something you don't want to see that's like that's hurting you your entire body like shifts like there's something inside you like when they say like your stomach drops that like awful feeling of anguish like it manifests physically um and it's up to you to like pay attention other ignoring it will just let it build and build and build y crece, right it, it 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 grows um and the last thing i'll say about forgiveness is that forgiveness is is not an act that's immediate but it is an act that takes lesser moments of releasing mm. small moments of letting go and saying today i forgive yourself and i know you're not happy with me but just for this one moment i'm okay with you making that mistake and it's just mm. releasing it yeah okay okay let's move on let's Ooh. see okay well this one is long i'll go okay Oh my God, I just asked you this question. Did you? What? If your eight-year-old self were to spend a day with you now, what would they see? What would they experience? Lit <gasps> wow. <laughs> wow. So y'all, this is, we have not seen each other's questions no, at all. Like at all. this is just, okay, universe. Okay, got it. Okay. My eight-year-old self didn't know English. Uh my eight-year-old self, okay, so I migrated and I went straight to the public school system, obviously, um, and I went to, like, not-so-good school. So my teachers were English-speaking. I had no friends. Most of my friends, I got bullied a lot my first year. My first year in the U.S. was so traumatizing that for a long time I barely remembered it. Um, I had to, like, intentionally go back and walk myself through it when I had got, actually when I was documented, when I no longer had that like trauma of like, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to know what it's like to, I don't want to relive my immigrant moments. Um, 
my first year in New York traumatized me to the point that I refused to speak English until I was in high school. Wow. I wouldn't speak it. I wouldn't, um, like, I would understand it, but I would never, it would never come out of my mouth. And my best friend, Vanessa, was actually one of the first people that I opened up to in regards to speaking English. She never made fun of me. When I mispronounced the word, I remember she would correct me. There was no, like, ha, 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 ha. Um, and that eight-year-old girl is still in me, 100%. Like, she is the little girl that cries when something really good happens. Like, I know it. Um, she's a little girl that, like, is overwhelmed with, like, disbelief but also joy when, like, I accomplish things that, like, I never thought I would accomplish. Mm. She is the girl that clapped for me when I landed in L.A. for the first time um, because that girl was a dreamer. And not in the, you know documented dreamer right right more of a dreamer of like she she saw the world and she saw herself big in it that little girl wanted to be a doctor a model she thought the world was hers to conquer um and along the way i kind of lost parts of her and i think now that i'm living my purpose and that i'm pursuing my purpose um she's in me more than ever uh, she's my biggest fan. So she's happy. You know, she is happy almost every day. Um, she claps for me at my performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am everything that she always dreamed of being. And when I want to take my art further, when I have when I have to make a like a very big decision, even professional or emotional, um, I always think back to her. Like, would she be proud? And literally, like, I, I picture her. I, I remember yeah. her. I know what she looked like. And something very interesting is that I logged into, like, a really old photo bucket account, and I found a video of me when I was nine playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And it, like, brought me to tears mm-hmm. because I saw myself at this, like, little girl right who was like chasing her dreams and i'm like i'm like she would be so proud of me yeah so whenever something great happens i think back to her and i'm like oh my god like i am i'm a, i am it i am what she wanted to be yeah yeah so um something that uh someone told me once was we should all uh we should all um dream of being the child in us. We should always be um, willing to free the child in us. Um, a few, a few, like a year ago, I was on vacation. And there was we. Were, I was sitting in this restaurant. There was jazz playing, beautiful music, beautiful people, and there was this little boy dancing his ass off. <laughs> All the adults were watching him and laughing and cracking up and cracking jokes, and. And I saw him, and then my friend tells me he is the happiest person here. Mm-hmm. He is the most, like, the, the person with the most freedom here. And mm-hmm. it's because he was just unapologetic yeah. and happy and enjoy and not caring about what people thought or all the outside, you know, perceptions. It was just him and his dance moves and everyone clapping. Right. He was in, like, just a sheer state of, of freedom and liberation at that moment and the really interesting thing is that when you said that like I I pictured this little boy dancing and then me being in an audience looking at him and it's like he's calling to my little young person to be like are you going to join me or what yeah yeah so the idea of your friend saying he is the happiest person because all the other folks here are realizing that they also have that in them but they're not unleashing it yeah yeah. yeah. As of, you know, like have a 32 year old homie just show up and be like, yo, what's good? You know, get. get yeah. So I think about that almost playful. every day. Yeah. Whenever I'm in a situation where, like, you know, people are dancing and I feel shy or a bit scared, I'm like, you know what? No. Like, no. I, I'm, 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 I'm channeling my inner child. Yeah. I want to be free. Yeah. Loose. Loose. Suelta. A ver. Sigo yo. 
Okay. Do you pray? If so, to who? And if not, why not? What's your belief system and have you ever questioned it? Um, I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a religious person, but I'm, a, I'm spiritual um, in becoming. So I, I see myself as in process of becoming a, a more spiritual person, understanding different parts of how I connect uh, to my body. And when I think about spirit, spirit for me is not just this, you know, ethereal, ethereal type of thing that just kind of floats, but it's it's this idea that I could have uh, a thought and that it could be connected to to my my mind and my body. And so whenever I think about wholeness or, or wholesome is being able to come with alignment with your your heart, mm-hmm. your your emotional part of who you are, your your intellectual part, the the reasoning, the logical, and then the spiritual, the the thing that makes your body, what's in between your bones, what's in between your organs, what's in between your hair, connect all of that experience together. Um, that to me is spirit. Mm-hmm. And whenever I feel like something is jammed or locked or it's not open enough for me to receive those messages, then I know I have to go into meditation. Mm-hmm. I know I have to go into, you know, getting my sage or my Palo Santo or um, just burning my copal and and allowing that smoke to fill in those crevices that feel jammed or locked. And it's interesting that every time I turn on my my sage or what have you, and I sort of put it across my body, like I get goosebumps. Mm. And and the idea of my body reacting to to the smoke is is saying it like, oh, okay, some, something's here. Let's pay attention to it. And then it's not like that the smoke naturally like makes you just relax, but it's the the attention that it brings to your body yeah. and to your mind and saying, you are doing something, you are practicing something where you want to have your mind, your body, uh, and your soul connect. And it all begins with your breathing. And that's that for me is like that moment that I, I chase, that I look forward to in practicing spirituality, um, which is just how can I recognize that in every living being and everything that's around me, um, spirit is part of it. Um, and my partner and other folks have, have sort of uh, laughed at this too, because I, 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 like you, I'm a person who cries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whenever I see joy, like in full display, mm-hmm. like I cry. If I see uh, a, like a puppy just really, you know, playing around in the dirt or playing with their owner, like at the park, like I just kind of stare and understand that there's a spiritual connection happening. Uh, and that means that I don't have to experience it the same way, but the acknowledgement that it's there makes me feel alive. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The, the the thing that I have practiced more is uh, mindfulness meditation and uh, through the, the practice of Thich Nhat Hanh, which is like a Vietnamese uh, Buddhist practice of meditation. And um, really what that does is it's a, it's a silent meditation that you connect to with, with your breathing. Um, and you mm. go like deeper in um, the idea of practicing just breathing is, is what I do. Okay. Well, that's beautiful, Lou. I wanted all of you to know that. it's okay it's your turn (laughs) okay these long questions okay well let's use like three sentences Uh uh-huh okay so oh wow without using your name or any other identities like ethnicity place or place of birth how would you describe the essence of who you are Um, I think I consider myself a soft, kind, and patient woman. (laughs) Um, I think something that I've struggled with most of my life is not allowing my kindness and my softness allow people to hurt me. Um, I think there's a difference. I think when we think softness and kindness, we usually think weak. Yeah. Um, but it 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 does it, they're not synonymous. 
Um, I think as, as an adult, um, what I've learned, what I'm trying to learn, what I'm trying to practice, what I've been practicing more often is this idea that just because I am kind to you um, does not mean that I would allow you to overstep my boundaries. Yeah. So this like juggling of like, what are my boundaries? And then how can I, with those boundaries, still be kind? And a lot of what that looks like is letting people go in kindness and not allowing them to come back or um, feeling for someone or loving people um, and still not making that a liability. Mm -hmm. You can love someone um, and still create, protect yourself from their presence and their toxicity. Um, And that includes family, that includes partners, that includes um, friendships. Something that happened to me recently was that an old friend came back. And me and this friend had a fallout about two years ago. And um, it hurt a lot at the time. And then I realized that after he was out of my life, I was lighter on my feet. I felt happier. Mm. His absence brought me space that I filled with light. And when he came back trying to mend things, he apologized for his wrongdoings and, you know, how he allowed our friendship to um, basically, like, waste away, evaporate. Yeah. I told him I understand. Um, I told him that I forgave him, that I had no resentment towards him, but that he no longer belonged in my life. Mm -hmm. And just like that, you know, he told me, well, it's all love. And I was like, listen, if I see you out there, I'll say hello. I might hug you, you know, and I'll send you, you know, and I wish you the best and I, I wish you well. But it doesn't mean that we belong in each other's lives any longer. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've learned lately. So definitely kind, soft, and patient because I need to literally, <laughs> I, I've been working on this. But one, being more patient with people around me. Um I definitely lose my patience easily, um, even when people are trying to help me or in my space and who care about me. And I think that comes a lot from, like, trauma. And my mom is a very impatient person. so Right, so get to it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's definitely something that I need to unlearn. But also impatient in regards to my blessings. I always doubt that the universe will return back the energy that I'm putting out. And I don't want that anymore. Um, so hopefully, a year from now, that will no longer be part of my essence. <laughs> You know, we're out here, you know, we're we're healing, we're growing, yeah, we're expanding, and right now it is part of me. Um, but eventually it won't be, I know, because I'm doing the work. Yeah. Um I didn't ask this to myself about you, but if I could say um what I sense and feel about the essence of who you are is absolutely everything that you said and it's it, it sort of comes forward in a in, in a ball of, of light and energy uh, and babes. uh and just just man like positivity the, the the idea of not just me but every other person that's around my life that me, gets to meet you like says that that they feel it and so we have to pay attention to the idea that as we walk into a room we walk with that essence of, of humility of light um and we have to believe that that's also who we are so just wanted to offer that. Oh, thank you, boo. Oh, wow. All right. Okay. All Last right. one. Last one. How do you practice love? How was love manifested or shown in your household growing up? I practice love differently than I think uh, was shown to me uh, growing up. Mm, so um, unpack. Unpack. Uh, now I practice a lot of, of self-love by understanding that I need my own space mm. to to be um, whatever I want to be, whether it's sleeping, uh, whether it's reading, whether it's just sitting down, uh, whether it's just being alone in my own space and feeling my energy or just recharging um, because I'm everywhere and having to offer so much to a lot of different people and, and, and spaces, I feel like my energy goes out. And so I have to be able to bring it back and recharge. And so mm. uh, self-love for me is about finding solitude. Now, solitude is different than loneliness. 
Solitude mm -hmm. means being able to come into a space where you're completely grounded with yourself and are willing to mend the pieces that are broken, the pieces that need activation um, within your heart. And solitude is the moment where you get to build that and, and fix that for yourself. Um, so it can be a difficult process, but it's, it's a beautiful one when you begin to, to start unpacking and chatting with, with that, mm. those pieces. Um, that wasn't the way that it was uh, for me growing up. Growing up was, ¿Por qué no estás haciendo esto? How come you're not doing this right? Where are you supposed to be? Like, you're wasting time. Why mm -hmm. are you doing that? Why are you doing that? So it was this constant, like, like questioning, but not for the sake of actually hearing the answers of what you're doing, yeah. Yeah. but for the sake of you are not doing what I want you to do. And that's the immigrant life, right? Absolutely. Immigrant it, upbringing. And I could open it up to say that's what a lot of poor folks of color um, and even just any general mm -hmm. person has to deal with with this idea that like yo growing up i have to see what my parents show me about love mm -hmm. and then i either when i get to a certain age i either take it and say that's the way that i want to practice or change yes. it oh oh wait hold up <laughs> say that again yeah say that again for the people in the back for the people in the back in, in the back row row r is when you are growing up you get a choice. You get to decide mm -hmm. to emulate the samples of what love is and how it gets shown in your families or how you want to shift it and say, I don't want to practice love in that way. Ooh. And I'm going to discover it in a different Listen, way. Listen, uh, you know, yes, 110 percent. Like we have a choice. And, and it has to be intentional. Mm -hmm. You have to work at it. It's hard. This is not, healing work is not easy work. No. You have to be intentional about the way that you want to manifest and practice love. Um, and you have to list, basically sit down with yourself and say, is the way that I was raised the way that I want to love other people yeah. in my life? A hundred percent. And most of the time, you know, our folks, our parents, our family, um, like our our family members don't have the tools. Yeah. They didn't have time to yes. get the tools. They were too busy surviving life yeah. in order to gain the tools and how to show love kindly, um softly, right? So healing work and this is where inter in like, you know, generation intergenerational trauma comes in, right? You basically have to sit down and we have that privilege. Our parents were not sitting around discussing love right. when they were growing up. They were too busy hustling, right? Um, but you have to sit down with yourself and say, is this the way that I want to pass down love to my children or this idea of love? Yeah. And Bell Hook talks about that in her book, All About Love, mm -hmm. and it's a powerful book. And basically what she says is, you know, there are no schools for love. No yeah. one teaches us how no to one. love. Yeah. Everyone just kind of running around trying to figure it out. But what it comes down to is admitting that you might not have never been truly loved in your life. Oh. <laughs> that you might have been taken care of. You might have received affection and care. Yeah. But you might not have truly received the true essence of love. Yeah. This, this reminds me of um, a couple of years back, maybe like three or four years. I remember I, I started um, taking note of how my family members, like my brothers, my sisters, my mm -hmm. mom, would talk to each other on the phone um, and what they would say to one another. And, you know, they would get on the phone and quickly was like, hola, ma, como esta? Mi mamá está, está, da, da, da. Uh, y que está haciendo? Y donde está? Right? Just like facts. Like, where mm -hmm. are you? What are you doing? Are you good? Okay, cool. Okay. You know, see you later. And then it would end. Uh, and I was like, where is the love piece? Where is mm -hmm. like the, 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 the actual loving connection? And I remember at one point I said, I'm going to start telling every single one of my family members, including my mom, that I love them in every conversation. And every time um, I did that with my sisters and my um, my brothers, like at first it was kind of like, yeah, me too, me too, bro. Um, <laughs> and then I started noticing a shift. Like when now I speak to my brothers and my sisters and my mom, I always say, uh, Amala quiero mucho. Brother, mm -hmm. I love you. Sister, I love you. And 
now I don't have to say it. Like they they say it to me. Mm. And I know that just saying I love you doesn't mean that you actually yeah. love you, Yeah, them, you, you know what I'm saying? But language is powerful. Exactly. And it, and it creates a space mm -hmm. for then the feelings to come in. Mm -hmm. To say, I do, I do appreciate you. And then the last thing that I'll say, I remember um, growing up, my fifth grade graduation, um, you know, I go and my mom was super excited that, you know, this kid graduated, having two years to come out from Mexico, graduated from, or, you know, elementary school. And she, she was like, mijo, where do you want me to take you? And I said, well, I want to go get something to eat, mom. And we go to the local McDonald's and she goes and she buys me um, a couple of Big Macs with some chicken nuggets. And then she gives me a card. Like, what? She gives me a card, and on the card she says something to the degree of like, "Mijo, estoy muy orgullosa de ti. Mm. Te quiero muchísimo. Um, I just, you know, I love you." And then she gives me a second card, and the second card was my siblings. My sister mm. like wrote a card, and then they all wrote on it. Like I had never seen that in my family, mm. but that was something that they learned somewhere that they picked up, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was from cousins or other family members. And in that moment, like, I felt their love. Mm. And I still remember that memory so vividly. The The card is like a Snoopy yeah. uh, little picture of you know, Snoopy graduating. And I still have that card. And so, you know, to folks out there, like, never lose sight that any small gesture of love or affection or even just kindness can develop lifelong memories for people. Same thing for me. So my mom had a hard time telling me that she loved me growing up. That's not something I heard. I never heard I am proud of you. I never heard I love you. But in writing, that's always, always the way that she communicated her love to me. And I have tons and tons and tons of cards for every holiday, for every birthday, uh, Valentine's Day, Christmas, New Year's. Um, graduation that is just my mom writing me letters and that's also something that I did growing up the first poems that I wrote um, were to my mom I would I would make her cards and, oh. and give them to her and leave them around the house for her to find and as like you know obviously as a teenager that kind of went away but the <laughs> words have always been the way that I have that I have offered yeah. what I could what I, what I wasn't able to say um, so something that cute that I did once, I actually wrote um, a guy a letter. I wrote my seventh grade, my seventh grade crush a letter oh. when he was leaving to the yard because they were like he was like going back to move to the yard. Wrote him a letter. To this day, he messaged me on Instagram <laughs> saying that he wishes he could find that letter, uh. Uh, telling him that I loved him, that I wished him the best. And then fast forward, like what over ten years later, someone that I loved, I like had a letter mailed to them. Oh. And it was like basically like everything that I hoped for the future. Yeah. And it was like that. It, it, it brought me back to myself. Like this is the way that I'm meant to show love through words. Yeah. But yeah, let's leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. I, I'm closing my box. Me too. The questions are being closed in here. And look, there's still quite there's a still few. questions left, y'all. So we may have to left. do another a part two. Yes. Yes. So okay, y'all. So I hope you enjoyed uh this episode we got deep we got emotional um and Ernesto and I have found a way to kind of learn from each other um and love each other in a way that's very special in a way that is constantly growing and also evolving so I'm very grateful for that um so we will be releasing yes, yes. an episode May 20th again. That's a Monday. That's a Monday. So every Monday, every, well, every every other Monday. Every other Monday. Every other Monday, you will have another episode from us. So thank you so much for listening, for tuning in. This is Lose Accents. Lose Accents, and you can always Soltado. catch Soltado todo. todo. You can always todo. catch us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you catch us up. Also on our Instagrams at Lose Accents and at Undocubay. And after the Dominican next things, boo. See y'all next time, baby.
baby. <laughs>